And so today we'll be looking at uh, chapter 4, and we'll see that there's an open door in Revelation. Pretty neat, isn't it, being in Revelation? Isn't that a nice place to be? You, who's an expert in that book? Anybody? Well, then I'm good because you're not. So uh, uh, Revelation 4, it's an open door. An open door takes place uh, for us and for the Apostle John to walk through and to get a glimpse in chapter 4, a glimpse of glory. And in this glimpse of glory, we're going to be led right into the throne room of God. In chapter 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. A door. I'm always fascinated by doors. I don't know about you. When I go on trips, I look, I'm just, doors catch my attention. And of course, I wonder what's behind them. Maybe uh, what's behind, I think it's 10 Downing Street. Or maybe... 221B Baker Street. So, we're Sherlock Holmes, we would expect to find, right? Or maybe the Prime Minister of England uh, on Downing Street. But doors always have a way of sort of beckoning us. And John writes, after this, I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. Now, heaven, for uh, through history, has often been portrayed as three levels, sort of three heavens. The first heaven, where the birds fly and the clouds float by. The second heaven, being where the planets, the galaxies, the stars all play beyond the birds the sky. And then that third heaven is that place of ultimate reality. Ultimate reality. It's the place where God resides. Paul was taken there, it appears, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about a man who was taken there. And he won't say who it is because he doesn't want to brag. But a man who was taken there and what he saw was indescribable, he says. Well, John is given a look in that very place. And then therefore, so do we have that opportunity today. And the first voice, he, he writes, the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must first take place or take place after this. After this, they had walked around or John had had the privilege of seeing Jesus amongst the seven churches there in Asia. And, and Jesus is speaking to him but he hears this voice of a trumpet. Well, let me tell you what that trumpet is. 
It is Jesus, and so Jesus is the one who is speaking to him, and we're going to see a couple of different pictures of Jesus in our text, but I'm going to go back in Revelation chapter 1 for a moment, chapter 1, verse 10. And for those of you who have a Bible, you can turn there. If you've got a phone, you can turn there. I would encourage you know, just as a side point, I, you know, men, I want to talk to the men particularly, uh, we've started relying on our phones to carry our Bibles around. I, I would just encourage you to really consider keeping your phone for all the things that you use it for but grab your Bible and take it with you and use it and have it ready. Put it on your desk at work, have it in your car, carry it with you. Do you think that might be, I think we're, we're, we've gotten to where we, we want to be so, so in with technology that we've left some things that would be good for us. And the word of God in our hands is where it should be. On the Lord's day, John writes, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see. And so that he hears this loud voice that is like a trumpet. I turned around in verse 12, he writes, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. And with a golden sash around his chest, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire and his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. But when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one, and I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And behold, I hold the keys of death and Hades. I wanted you to see that picture of Jesus because we'll see a couple other pictures of Jesus here in a moment. This is the living God who is in many ways indescribable, as Paul wrote. And yet he came, he came to earth that we might know him and touch him and know that he cares. 
Here's enough to give his life that we might have life with him. And so this voice, Jesus, speaks to him. Verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, John writes, back in chapter 4. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Thrones are for kings. And this one seated on the throne is described, and he who sat there had the appearance. He looked like jasper and carnelian. Again, he had this appearance, this brilliance, this this radiance, a blaze of colorful light. God is not gemstones, but there before John was the brilliance he'd never seen, indescribable, on the throne. And around the throne was a rainbow and had the appearance of an emerald. So this rainbow may have been like a halo completely around the throne. And the rainbow reminding God of his promises that he's given and reminding us of his promises as we see him to trust him. He's the faithful promise keeper for those who need someone to be faithful and to keep their promises. And he is the king. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And these were the 12 and 12, which believed to represent both the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, the apostles and the and uh, the, the tribes of Judah, making the full number of God's people. These are representatives. These are around the throne of all God's people. And from the throne, verse 5, came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, a majestic power displayed of God's presence and his splendor and glory, can you imagine, put yourself there for a moment, close your eyes if you need to, whatever. Just picture this throne with this radiance, rainbow, and creatures around the throne praising God and flashes of lightning and rumblings. I know when I was a kid, I had the privilege of, of living on a top of a, a mountain in California. It's called Mule Peak. It's the tallest mountain around. It was out in the Sequoia National Forest. And it was a one-room lookout. My dad was a forest ranger. And we, uh, we lived in this one-room lookout. And all around were windows from about this high to the ceiling so that you could see this forest we were out in the middle of. And we were on the very top of a mountain. And when any, you could see storms coming in from miles. 
And I want to say to you, that was one of the greatest experiences of my life because I got to see thunderstorms come. And lightning, if you can imagine, hitting anywhere would hit right on us, on that little lookout. And it was well-grounded and lightning. We could be in the middle, in the, in the room. It's only one room. And it would come, and it would hit, and it would dance around sometimes the windows outside, the lightning itself, before it went to the ground. And of course, everything was rumbling, shaking. We're, on the, we're actually hanging over a cliff a bit. It was fun. <laughs> my, my parents didn't find it quite as much fun as I did, my mother particularly, but uh, it was beautiful. I've appreciated storms and lightning ever since. Uh, so if you see a storm coming, you should tell me to go inside, Dar. It's an, don't play out here. But uh, I, I lack that fear of, of lightning, except I know it's power. And I know it could just zap me if Lord so chooses. Uh, and it would you also. But there's a beauty in it. And it's a display of God's power and wonder and light. And so that was going on in heaven. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit. And then begins the worship of God, the God who is holy. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. The sea of glass representing the purity and holiness of God. Ezekiel describes this similar scene, and he says there's an expanse of sparkling, uh, sparkling ice, and it's awesome. This is, this is what's referred to as holy ground. For the burning bush, there was holy ground around that bush that Moses could not come any closer. For Mount Sinai, wherever God is, he is holy. But Jesus came that we might come near and actually that God came near. Came near to us to give his life for us. And around the throne, on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. These same creatures are described as cherubim or seraphim from in Ezekiel and Isaiah. In fact, the, old, the whole book of Revelation, you probably shouldn't attempt it until you read Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and uh, uh, Isaiah and have a sense of them, Zechariah, because the images and the scenes that are in Revelation are described back in the Old Testament in many ways. But this is a real vision. This is a real experience for John as he steps into heaven. And he sees this creature, these creatures, 
The first living creature was like a lion. Again, note that it's just like a lion. It's not a lion. It just looks like a lion. It, the second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. I believe representing around the throne God's creation. What's been referred to often as what is the noblest, the strongest, the wisest, and the swiftest of creation. Worship Him. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, and here's the first of five hymns we're going to look at. The first hymn is, is sung by the creatures, and they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is holy. He's perfect. He's pure. He's holy other. He's set apart. He's different. And the Lord God Almighty is omnipotent. He is all strength and power and might within himself. And then who was and is and is to come. He is eternal. He always has existed. He does exist. And he will always exist. This is the God who's worshipped by these beings. Verse 9, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who was seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before him, saying, and then we come to the second hymn. And so with these creatures are joined the, the whole church. And so all creation and all God's people are represented for John in this vision and worshiping him as the creator of God. Worthy, verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you, what? For you created how many things? All things. And by your will, they existed and were created. It's by the will of God. How was the world created? A friend of mine and I were looking at reading Genesis 1 the other day together, and, and God speaks, and it comes into existence. God doesn't have to have a chemistry set or something, beakers and trying to create things. He speaks, and it comes into existence. There's nothing else like that. God is beyond us. I tell you what, if one thing I would hope that we would gain through looking today at this is that a sense of awe of the glory of God and the worship that is due him. Amen? This is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Chapter 5, which is the main chapter, and I have less time to do it in. Some of you are not praying for me to keep it short. This is the grand scroll, scroll of God. 
And then I saw, verse, verse 1 in chapter 5, then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. What is this scroll? Why, it's the plan of God for history. It's his will as he speaks. It's for the will of God to take place. It is the promises that he has promised. It is the warnings and it is the judgment as they unfold. Repeated warnings and his patience is displayed. His final judgment comes upon sin and evil and Satan. And God's ultimate redemption of rewarding the people of God and the unveiling of the new heavens and the new earth. This is good. This is what we long for. And I saw a mighty angel, a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, John says, who is worthy to open this scroll and break its seals? And then I want to picture, want you to picture, there's a bit of silence as the creatures, as the church, as all creation looks around. Who is worthy? Verse 3, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep, John says, loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John thought that this vision that was, it was unfolding and the, and the power of God and, and what he held in his hand would not occur for some reason. He was heartstruck. Verse 5, the answer, the answer. The answer of heaven, the lion. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, or look closely, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Genesis 49, we see that, that Jacob pronounces this blessing upon Judah. And, and it's the royal line as the lion of Judah. It's the royal line of the kingdom of God. And the root of David, if we see Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, we see the the Messiah will come through the line of Jesse and David. And so he is both the lion and the root of David. He is the messianic promise come true. And he has conquered. He's overcome. He's triumphed. He's gained the victory. But how? Well, he's led a sinless life. No one else has led a sin sinless life. And sinless so that he might take sin upon himself that's not his.
And he's given a sacrificial, substitutionary death for us as a gift. But a sure and certain resurrection to life that we might have life. He's done all this to defeat sin, death, the devil, and hell. He removes the shame and the guilt and the punishment that's due us, giving us a peace and a, and a pardon, an eternal life with him. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. He rose again that we might live through him. You get that? The cross, the empty tomb, the sinless life. Jesus did it all. God made it all. Jesus accomplished it all. He triumphed, not just for himself. He didn't run across the line and say, yay, I get the victory. He did it for us, for you, each one of you, as if there were only one of you, you. And the answer of heaven is the lion. And then in verse 6, the worship of heaven is the lamb. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This is the resurrected lamb. There had been the lion and now he sees a lamb. It's a slain lamb that's standing. It's living, but had been killed or slaughtered. Where does that take place? At the cross, of course. And if you want a description of, 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 of the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ, a good place to look is in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Check me out. Isaiah 53, and read it slowly to yourself. He was the Passover lamb. Remember when they were in Egypt, they, they, they had to slaughter a lamb and took his blood and spread it across the doorpost that the angel of death would not visit them but would pass over. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is your Passover lamb. Listen, there's a difference between believing that's true and you believing it. Are you willing to stake your life on that fact that Jesus died for you? Do you know that he did and then he rose for you? He's the standing wounded lamb, he lives. And because he lives, we too shall live. He had seven horns, which represent the power and authority of, of his being. And with seven eyes, they are, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, representing his wisdom and knowledge. 
7, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he'd taken the scroll and the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb to worship him, each holding a harp with golden bowls full of, now listen to this, listen, listen, and golden bowls, golden bowls full of incense, which are what, brothers and sisters? which are the prayers of the saints. I'm not going to do it right now because you made me run out of time. But uh, if you look at Scripture, prayers are powerful. They don't just come before the throne of God as a sweet aroma for nothing. God works in powerful ways when he hears the prayers of his people. There's power in prayer. The power ultimately comes from God himself acting on our behalf and for his glory. Pray, saints, knowing that the Lord hears you. I was going to talk about this when I got through, but that's it. Pray. Third hymn. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed or you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And this reminds me of the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12. In fact, the old, all the Old Testament is here. It's a promise given to Abraham that eventually he would bless all the nations through him. In Philippians, Paul writes that eventually every knee, tongue, and tribe will bow the knee God has always been about pulling his people from around the world of every tongue, language, and tribe because his love spreads around the world to his people, no matter where they are. And he will save them and bring them to himself as they trust in him. And you've made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. <laughs> you might find this odd, but it, that, that promise was given back at Mount Sinai. If we had time, we would just make a Bible study here. We'd, of course, it would take several weeks, but <laughs> I kind of like this book. I don't know about you. Well, it's the Word of God, right? Verse 11, and I looked and I heard around the throne the, and the living creatures and, and, and the elders, what? 